0: Walking around for how long do you reckon? Um, just less than ten minutes. Less than ten minutes. And how many places have we seen that you can get alcohol from? There's about six. Kia ora, I'm Jessie Chang, and today on the detail. I think now where there's a growing sense of frustration, and I suspect even anger the number of liquor stores being granted approvals and licences.
1: The National Maori Authority is demanding a nationwide halt on licences for new bottle stores after multiple highly publicised assaults in Auckland and Wellington
0: CBDs. It's an all-too-familiar story for local communities across the country. Alfano just don't need this here. That's just the end of it. We don't want an alcohol shop
1: next to the laundrette. Imagine what's going to happen if if that happens. They're going to be, uh while they're waiting for their sheets to wash.
0: Advocates against alcohol harm say there are just too many of these little booze shops, but to oppose them, it's absolutely burdensome for communities. They've got to do so much to stay in the game and and to get through this process, it's so onerous on them. And there's also a counter-argument that people should be responsible for controlling their own drinking. I'm in South Auckland in Mangere with local Shirley Fruin, and we're about to go and walk around the main town centre and see how many bottle stores there are and what else is around here. Awesome. Sounds really good. Okay, let's go. So, Shirley, why did you start to get really involved in just noticing that there were so many liquor stores
2: or liquor licences? It actually started back in the day when I was a mum. I was driving down Mangere Beta Drive, and I seen, like, a whole bunch of young people walking, some in school uniforms. And then I pulled over, you know, and I said to them, you know, why aren't you guys in school and stuff? And, and the first thing that one of the boys was saying, hey, miss, can you um, buy us a box? Can you get us a box from the liquor store? And I just yeah. thought, this is just not right, you know. That's kind of like where my interest started from. And in that moment, I thought, what can I do to help change these kids' minds from wanting to go to a liquor store, you know. And I think it's because it's become a normal thing. Mm. And um, also, back in the day, um, the age was different. It was more, it was like 21 back in the day, mm. you know, and now it's gone lower and lower. Now it's 18, A eh? That's the age now. So that's, I feel like that's the reason why there's a lot more... Young people. So my whole thing against us is because of the young people, Mm. you know, having access to it, seeing it, thinking it's normal Mm -hmm. and, you know, and and it's inevitable. It's going to happen. They are going to go down that path.
0: Shirley Fruin wears a lot of different hats. She's a hip hop artist. She's a mum to an autistic son. She's run a performing arts course for teenagers and is a strong advocate against the availability of alcohol in her community.
2: There's already vulnerable people in the mm. community. I know we don't like using the word vulnerable, but we feel like there's a lot of people who in that community who, you know, are poor, are and already struggling, be predisposed to drinking alcohol. That's it. Yeah. And so when they see it, they're gonna be, they're gonna be like, oh, this is my last ten bucks. I'm gonna go and buy me that because it's on sale. Mm. And then their kids suffer, and that's why there's a lot of kids in the community mm. who don't um, have lunch, mm. don't have the proper uniforms. Um, you know and uh involved in domestic violence, mm. you know I also was a victim of domestic violence due to alcohol alcohol harm. Two of my marriages broke because of alcohol harm and drugs, and so that 's why it 's really affected me a lot mm. um, and I do believe it is it was caused from the alcohol because they couldn 't control it, and that 's the problem you know
0: what do you think about the argument that may be out there that Sometimes it just comes down to personal responsibility. It's not the liquor licenses or yeah. the availability of the alcohol that's the problem.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I totally understand. Um, someone commented on on the YouTube: liquor stores are not the problem; it's education, you know. And I thought, yeah, people are entitled to what they want to think, but I guess when you are affected by it, that's when you realize there is definitely a problem, and it's definitely because there's just too many. Too many liquor stores. When you count all the stores, it makes you think. That's when people start to realise, oh, that's a lot.
0: There are about 20 outlets with liquor licences in the Mangere Otahuhu ward and around the town centre itself. Well, the first place that we're
2: going to is the Le Taosala Sala Club, which is actually a nightclub. It's been years since I haven't been up there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But, um... I still see a lot of people because they've got gaming. It's a gaming lounge, so it's also
0: gambling as well. Gambling, yeah. Just a few meters around the corner, and um, we're just walking past Countdown as well, yeah. so where Countdown, you yep. can yep. buy alcohol. Absolutely, yeah. Countdown. We've got one just around here. Okay, let's um, walk over there.
2: Yeah, and that's really good that they um, we've shut down the other one down at the back of by the nightclub.
0: Yeah, because so there was a liquor store right next yep. to the nightclub.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah, and there's um yeah, there's quite a few just all over the place. Especially like where I live, they're the east. So I'm hardly out these ways. Unless I'm selling my coconut bread.
0: <laughs> is that a little plug? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes it is, I'm so
2: gonna add that in. Shirley's coconut bread, which is amazing,
0: apparently. <laughs> Okay, I see there's a super liquor store just up here.
2: I used to uh, be really good friends with the guys that own these stores. This one and the one across the road. Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) Not anymore? I don't know if they're still here. (laughs) Okay. That's how long
0: I haven't been. Opposite the super liquor store across the car park, there's the Mangere Community Health Centre and also the Birthing Centre. Further along, we've just come around the corner and I can see Pack and Save on my left as well. So that you can also buy alcohol there.
2: Uh, Pack and Save and literally just across from Pack and Save around here where the food junction is there's um, the main one there. That um... Another liquor store? Yeah another one. Okay yeah. So there's another liquor store just here and that's the one that a lot of people go to because it's like right next to the food and oh and also oh I don't know if oh they actually do yes right. so another um, another supermarket
0: yeah they sell the um, beers in here. She's talking about the Shop and Save supermarket and opposite the main town centre on the other side of Beta Drive is the Mangare Cosmopolitan club. So within 10 minutes of walking, a person wanting to buy alcohol in the Mangare town centre has the choice of two different clubs, three supermarkets and two liquor stores to go to. Dr Nikki Jackson is the executive director of Alcohol Health Watch, a charity funded by the Ministry of Health to reduce alcohol-related harm. The World Health Organization says if you're going to do anything to reduce alcohol harm...
1: It's address the price of alcohol, address its availability, and address its marketing. So availability is one of those big three best buys. And that is reducing the physical availability, so that's the number of liquor outlets in our neighborhoods, and, and reducing the temporal availability, so that's reducing the hours that, they're, that, that are open. So... Unfortunately in 1989 on the sale of liquor act we decided that we were going to normalize alcohol availability everywhere so we had alcohol come into our supermarkets in 1989 followed by beer in, um, in 1999 uh, we had licensed cafes we had licensed restaurants we had this idea that if we diversified the night the types of licensed premises so alcohol was available everywhere then it would become normal <laughs> and it has become normal <laughs> it has but it, we had this we had this vision that that we would have this mature and sophisticated drinking culture like the French if if we just had alcohol everywhere. And what we saw is that we doubled the number of places that sell alcohol
0: in New Zealand over the the following 20 years. In 2012, um, there were amendments to the um, Sale and Supply of Alcohol Act, what were the amendments and were they actually effective?
1: Well, it, it was a whole new liquor law. So we got, we got rid of the sale of liquor Act 1989 and we put in a brand new law based on some of the recommendations of the Law Commission. Despite the Law Commission recommending measures to increase the price of alcohol and address marketing, two of the other three biggest buys around reducing alcohol harm, they didn't make it into the sale and supply of alcohol alcohol is more affordable today than ever before. The affordability of wine has increased by 20% in the last five years. Wow. What the government decided at the time was to devolve alcohol availability decisions to local government. They said that district licensing committees at a local level will decide on whether a license should be granted or not. They devolved policy making around alcohol availability to councils through local alcohol policies. So you know, there's 67 councils in New Zealand. Many of them don't have a huge ratepayer base. Many of them are tiny. So, so the government really almost did a hospital pass to local government and said, "You—that's you, your problem. That's your problem." You know, you try to uphold your wishes of, of your community. You have to remember that the Sale and Supply of Alcohol Act 2012, the priority objective was to improve community input into local alcohol licensing decisions. That was its objective, and that has, has failed miserably.
0: There are 11,000 plus licensed premises in New Zealand, most of them on licenses. Bars, clubs, restaurants. 3,000 of them are off licenses. That's takeaway alcohol. There's been a boom in online sales. And then there are club licenses, your RSAs and rugby clubs. But 80% of booze is purchased from off licences. Those local liquor stores communities are
1: fighting against. The process is so so heavily weighted towards the applicant for for a licence. So... First and foremost, the community needs to find out that there's an alcohol outlet license application in their neighbourhood. And so they have to be able to walk past a premises with a window with a sign saying new application for for, an off-license bottle store. And if they don't happen to see that notice on the window, then they have to be able to go onto a website to see that an application's come into their neighbourhood or they read their local newspaper. And so from the get-go, they're not proactively notified that there is this, You know, a shop that's going to sell New Zealand's most harmful drug, that's what it is, we know that, you know, clearly. There's no proactive notification that, you know, hello community this outlet wants to come into this neighbourhood, the onus is on the communities to consistently look at the websites, go through the the neighbourhood retail outlets, see who's going to open a bottle store, for example. So that's really hard for communities to be even notified, to even identify that something is coming into their neighbourhood. And then if they do decide that, you know, I object, I don't want this new liquor outlet, then they've got 15 working days to lodge their objection to council.
0: From the day that the liquor store has applied. Has
1: notified their application, absolutely. So from the moment that um, either it's gone onto the website or or that um, piece of paper is on the window, that clock starts counting. And we've seen some communities around the country, particularly those that um, are more socioeconomically advantaged, who can rally together quite quickly. And many of them are lawyers and things, and they can create such a mobilised activity that applicant decides to withdraw. This is too hard. I don't want to come in here. But for other communities where there's saturation of liquor outlets, there's proliferation, and that these communities are working multiple jobs, they don't hear about the liquor licence application, they're on the back foot from the get-go. And they've got to come together to mobilise as a community to put in objections the trouble is with our liquor laws is that you have to live within one to two kilometres of, say, any licensed premises to have a standing to object. Right, that's the only ground you can object on. Well, no, that, that's the that's the first threshold you must get right. over. So it used to be that you had to live within a thousand metres, which which is just crazy because the research is so overwhelmingly clear that the harms from liquor out is extent up to five kilometres. But the law says, no, that you really only have a greater interest if you live within one kilometre. Now we've got some case law that that extends to two kilometres. So that's hard from the get-go. You have to have standing to be able to object to a liquor licence. And then if you do, there's a range of criteria that you, you are only permitted to object against. So, what are those? So there's a whole range of them, and one of them is you know, the hours that this premises wishes to be open. You could object to those hours. You could object to the way that you believe that this new outlet's going to impact the amenity and good order of your neighbourhood, but where's the evidence? You have to prove this evidence that this is going to come in and impact the amenity and good order. Or you could use the object of the Act, which is what most communities use, and that's to say that this new outlet is not going to minimise alcohol-related harm. I mean, this is, this is where the, the rubber meets the road, is that communities have to front up with a whole lot of evidence to show why this outlet is going to increase or not minimise alcohol-related harm.
0: What proof is normally accepted? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I come along
1: with uh, 26 pages of evidence, and, and it doesn't count. The threshold for evidence is simply too high. And so we're tuning up with um, emergency department admission. The police are tuning up with their local crime data. The issue is is that unless you can bring it back to that locality of interest and prove that that outlet is, is going to cause harm, then you
0: don't stand a chance. You absolutely don't. Because that's the main argument from liquor stores and the supermarkets. They say, well, where's the evidence for
1: Auckland? Where's the evidence for Wembeera? Where's the evidence for Ōtāra? And it's like, well, you know, we, we don't have that level of evidence. We have good quality evidence across a huge number of studies which consistently show that off-licences and, and alcohol outlets increase alcohol-related harm. Why would I think that relationship wouldn't exist in, in West Auckland or, or North Shore? but they're like, well, no, we need this local evidence. So the District Licensing Committee hears from the applicants and then... You absolutely hope that the other three agencies who have a statutory role to also report on that local licence application, that's the police, that's the District Health Board, the Medical Officer of Health and the council. Now, if you can get those three agencies to also oppose the application, you've got a better chance that when you front up at a district licensing committee hearing that you might be successful in your objection?
0: You say better chance. So even if you've got the community, you've got the police, you've got the DHBs, you've got the medical officer of health, they're all saying we don't want this here, there could be a chance that this licence is still approved. There's a very high chance it's going to be approved. So if we
1: look at the uh, Auckland case, for example, in the, the year uh, 2019-20, there were over 800 new applications for on-licences and two were refused. If we look at off-licences, there were 317 applications for new off-licences, zero were refused. So, no, even if you manage to get through to a hearing, even if you've got the agencies together with you and you're all singing from the same song sheet that we don't need this new liquor outlet, very slim chance that you're going to be successful. So, I mean, I've been to a number of hearings. So you're a community member having never done this process in your life. And you turn up and you're at the council chambers. You know, you're speaking into microphones. You've got lawyers all around you. You're fronting up and the applicant brings their lawyer. They're well-resourced. They, they often bring lawyers to, to, the, to the hearing. You've got the agencies on one side. You've got three district licensing committee members in front of you. And you're turning up and you're new to this. And it's such a formal environment and, mm. and it's actually, the District Licensing Committee is just, um, there's 67 of them around the country. They belong to each, um, well, they belong, they're independent uh, for each council area. And you submit witness statements in advance. You get cross-examined by the lawyers, by the agencies. It's, it's a scary environment. I've seen community members being absolutely hounded through cross-examination by the applicant's lawyer. That's... This environment doesn't actually need to be like this. If you go and take part in Resource Management Act hearings, there's no cross-examination. There's, it's, it's an unlevel playing field. If communities can bring lawyers, <laughs> if they can resource that, then they've got a better chance at winning. But we can't expect that. So they have to take time off their work or take time away from their duties to, to often come to a hearing that's not even in their neighbourhood where this outlet's going to be. They come to often council chambers... They often take one to two days for hearings to be heard, depending on how many objectors there are and so what happens is if you 've got a hundred community members that put forward an objection to this liquor outlet, you need those hundred people to take time off work to come to the hearing, otherwise the authority says their objections given little weight if you if you can't come to the hearing, well then we're not going to give your objection much weight, and so this is you know. These hearings should be at night. They should be in the evening. They should be in the community. And so if you lose at the hearing, you've still got a process to appeal that. It's going to cost you $500, odd, and you're going to appeal that to the Alcohol Regulatory and Licensing Authority. And even often, if you do win as a community member, then the applicant also appeals. And you've got to go through this process again. It's it's absolutely burdensome for communities. It's absolutely They've got to do so much to stay in the game and, and to get through this process. It's so onerous on them. Are
0: there any provisions about, like, if, if it's close to a school or if it's close to um, a GP or a hospital that it's not allowed there?
1: It, no, there's no prohibition that it's not allowed there. So certainly we will bring up those issues. We, we encourage communities to look at why this licence you know, shouldn't be granted. Um, and they will mention this is 100 metres from a primary school. This is across the road from a church or a marae. But the District Licensing Committee will take these things into consideration. Usually what we hope is that there's conditions in place in our local alcohol policy which deals to issues like that.
0: Talk to me about what local alcohol policies are.
1: On paper, they look like they should offer everything to protect communities. They they stipulate where new licences can be located, so whether they're going to be in commercial areas or, or, or in residential areas. They stipulate how close together licences can be to one another, so to prevent that clustering of bottle stores and on, on licensed premises that we find and they're able to reduce the trading hours. So under our legislation, if you don't have a local alcohol policy, your off-licence can open at 7am and it can close at 11pm. And if you're an on-licence, you can open at 8am and you can close at 4am. But if you're a council that's decided to have a local alcohol policy, you can actually bring those hours down earlier.
0: The problem is... Only 41 of our 67 councils are covered by LAPs. That's 61%. One in five have decided not to have one at all, probably because it's a lengthy and costly legal process to get it over the line. And there is no LAP in Hamilton, Wellington, Christchurch or Auckland.
1: Auckland released its local alcohol policy for the appeals process to commence in May 2015. So we're more now than six years down the legal process. We've had four weeks in court at the Alcohol Registry Licensing Authority. We've been before the High Court. Last month it was three days in the Court of Appeal and we still don't have a local alcohol policy in Auckland.
0: What would it look like in an ideal world for approving new licences or renewing licences? I would love to see our policy reflect the the
1: level of harm from alcohol. We, we seem to continually want to liberalise our alcohol laws. Um, one mechanism to be able to really uphold community voices is getting to Tiriti or Waitangi into the Act because that means that district licensing committees, the, the other decision-making bodies, councils, all of the agencies need to be taken into account well, what's the impact of this outlet for Māori? Because at the moment, there's it's nothing. Not. There is nothing in the Act that recognises the unequal harms to Māori or seeks to actively protect or honour the treaty. And so we really want to see that in legislation that Māori are given standing at licensing hearings. It's absolutely fundamental. District licensing committees, I'd be happy if they, they were gone. And we've replaced them with independent commissioners that went around the country and produced consistent decisions in relations to local licence applications, just like we have with the resource management process.
0: Meanwhile, the Justice Minister Chris Farfoy has indicated he wants the Sale and Supply of Alcohol Act reviewed. That's it for today, I'm Jessie Chang. The Detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. If you want to get in touch, email us at thedetail rnz.co.nz. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Shirley Fruin and Dr Nikki Jackson. Ka kite anō.